Hello and welcome to the latest edition of How Might We? And this episode, I'm pleased to, to welcome Mark Williams as our guest. And we're going to be talking about how might we help participants get ready to learn. So, Mark, would you like to introduce yourself to the listeners, please? Yes, thank you, Scott, and thank you for the invite. So, yeah, I'm Mark. I am the founder of Giraffepad, which is a learning platform. I run my own training and coaching business for about 18 years. And prior to that, when I was last employed, I was an L&D manager in a, a, a travel business. So learning has been pretty much my career for longer than I care to remember. <laughs> I like that quote, when I was employable. What makes you think you're not employable? Well, you know what, I think because I've been self-employed for so long now, the idea of, I mean, I love working with organisations and being in organisations, but the idea of being permanently in, in an organisation that wasn't maybe my own, like like I found it, brings me out of cold sweat sometimes. I'm not sure why. <laughs> <laughs> I think a lot of people, if anyone listens to that, or are freelancers who work in the freelance world, which I, I do as well, it's like, it's like, I've got to go and get a proper job. <laughs> A proper word, yeah. Like for some reason, being self-employed isn't a proper job. It is. It's not a proper job. Yeah. No. Sometimes it's scarier than a proper job, but then sometimes it's more more rewarding. So it's one of those things. Which one do you prefer? Okay, this is something that's quite interesting, and I think especially now because of COVID, the opportunities for us to really embrace this concept of preparing people to learn or helping people prepare to learn before whatever it is we're doing as our solution is becoming more more. I think the word, I was going to say more easier, but that's really bad English. It's kind of easier to do. And I think more expected than perhaps we were pre-COVID where people just rocked up to a training venue and got the training and left again. Absolutely. That's a good point where you're saying, is it easier? Whether or not it's easier, I suppose, I think the shift to a virtual world of learning has opened up a lot of our minds to the fact that it is possible to do a lot more in that space. Whereas perhaps when we, when we were running face-to-face workshops as our only possible solution or the only one that maybe people considered, it felt like the learning started when people walked through the door. And that's something that I think with shorter virtual sessions is is just not sustainable. I mean, it doesn't, in my mind, work for face-to-face sessions, but certainly for the shorter virtual sessions, it's just not sustainable to start the learning the minute you join the Zoom session. No, and I think one of the things I, I, I experienced also when I did face-to-face delivery was you got a you got an attendance list but you were never sure who turned up well you know my favorite experience of that as well is that you know even in organizations where learning is 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 believed in and is possibly part of the culture i would still have people turn up and it'd be a lovely greeting say mark it's lovely to see you what are we doing today (laughs) (laughs) yeah am i in the right room this is what i've got to do oh dear we've all had those conversations but it's interesting because i work uh so I've just got my certification with the company or exchange over uh, last year. I've worked with them. And I think they, they, they shifted from doing uh, face-to-face to virtual. And I think they put a lot of thought into how that shift happened and how they delivered. Mm. And one thing I really noticed they, they, they've stepped their game up was, is the preparing people for those sessions. There was a lot of communication prior to the event, a series of emails, information, saying this is what we're going to be doing, this is the this is the technology we're going to be using and providing information to help people and things like a, an events dashboard. So you could go onto the dashboard and everything's like that's 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 the reading if you want it. There's this, there's this. And this. So the technology that they used Eliza, was good. And I really it really helped me think about that journey before the actual solution. hundred percent. And it's interesting in our industry, I think there's always been a real strong focus on 
helping the learning embed and stick after a learning intervention. But this area is something that only really, in my mind, seems to have come to the fore since we moved to virtual, which is strange in a way because there's no reason. I mean, a lot of the solutions, a lot of the ideas, a lot of the opportunities to do this work just as well if it's a face-to-face session as they do if it's a virtual session. They're not, they're not part of just the virtual world. Mm-hmm. It just seems to become more relevant. And possibly that's because by their nature, virtual sessions tend to be shorter. So you, you absolutely have to maximise that time. You've got no... You've got no sort of leeway, which if you if you think if you're running a full day's workshop, however you plan that day, you almost certainly, if you're a good facilitator, are going to plan in leeway to go off on a, on a good tangent or to spend longer on a certain point. So you've got that kind of extra time. If you've only got two hours on a virtual session, really, it's going to be a slightly more packed schedule, a slightly tighter schedule. And I think anyone arriving on that who who might join the Zoom session and say, am I on the right Zoom session or, you know, what are we doing today is... Is, is not going to get the most of that session and certainly not going to be letting it stick after it. So I see the two as completely entwined. If you get the preparation right, by default, you have to get the facilitation right because that's the facilitator's role. That makes the learning much more likely to be embedded and stick. I don't think you can separate them out. Well, I'm interested you say that because I'm now, when I was doing some work with people this week on learning, and I said, we've got to get away, in my opinion, from thinking that the solution is the, the training or the training or the coaching, whatever it else, and say, that is part of the journey. And we've got to really look at the, the journey before the actual, whatever it is we're doing with people, whether it's a coaching program or whether it's a face-to-face delivery or a, or a virtual delivery or a combination of stuff. And then, as you say, the stickability process afterwards and about actually embedding that and influencing the, the outcomes that we want or the organisation or whoever wants to see it at the other end? I mean, the analogy I sometimes use for this is, if you can imagine those experiences either you've had or if you're a parent, you might have done where, where a child learns to ride a bike and you know, they, they, they look at their elder sibling or they, they see some friend or peer on a, a bike with no stabiliser hanging around and they're on this little tricycle still. They want to get off that. So you go through the stages of the, of the, the stabilisers on the bike you then take that big move to take the stabiliser off, but you're holding the back seat if you're the dad or the mum or the older brother. And then you let go and they start riding around and, and they can start riding a bike. But if you think of our learning intervention, we don't want just people to be able to ride a bike. But we want them to be as good enough or as motivated enough to become Tour de France experts or, or downhill mountain bike experts. And so the learning journey doesn't finish the minute they can actually pedal and balance at the same time because they are going to fall off and they're going to need to navigate different terrain and everything else so it's absolutely a journey and i think any learning learning invention is almost that process of going from sitting on a tricycle to having down the scariest mountain bike run that red bull probably sponsor at some point and being able to do that really really well and i think the facilitator has a role to play in that entire journey Mm. Um, not just the bit where you let go of the seat and they're they're riding a bike no and i I completely agree and i think it's on other conversations i had on on a previous a call with Mo, we talked about cognitive load as well. So the cognitive load we is our ability to, or our capacity to deal with information. So the more we can prepare people for the event prior to the event, then when they get to the event, then they can concentrate on what they're there to do, which is to learn, not, oh, hang on a minute, how do I put Zoom on? How do I do this? Am I in all these sort of questions, which require them to think and get worried about or, or think about, which means they're then not concentrating on and what they're there for, especially as you say, with we've got much shorter sessions than we had previously. 
Absolutely. I mean, something I've seen that's become increasingly popular and, and I think is, is a, a genius way of part of the warm process. It's not on its in isolation, but just part of the warm up process. So imagine for whatever program you might be running, let's say you have something loosely called module one that is the start of that learning program. Prior to that, you actually have a live virtual session that is all about getting familiar with the tech. So if you're using Zoom or Teams or whatever platform you might be using, any other apps you might be using, like the, the whiteboard apps or, or anything else, Mentimeter, that is going to enhance that. You familiarize them all at the beginning, but by default, it's a sneaky way as well to just build a bit of engagement with the group and, and, and relationship, learning relationship with the facilitator without the pressure of having to cover off the actual content itself or the exercises that you've planned. It gets rid of all that cognitive load of like, am I in the right place? How am I gonna, you know, I don't know which button to press that, that takes people away from it. It's a very, informal way of starting that connection and process and it, get, it means you can maximize your time in the real session I mean, it's, it doesn't work just on its own but as one example of preparing to learn as a pre-session on the tech i mean it's priceless i think well i absolutely and one of the things i i, I think about is, is is three the number three like three is the magic number and i think that in any length of solution or activity is always think about the road into the activity, the activity itself, and the way out of the activity. So we break it into three. So if you're doing an activity in your uh, learning session, and you're facilitating a, an experiential activity, sell the activity to the people before they go in there. Make sure they're really clear about what's expected of them. So when they go into that, they can concentrate on the activity and nothing else. And that time that you've designed for that activity, is, it gets the full capacity and then have enough time at the end to, to unpack it enough that the activity provides the learning that you wanted it to. And I think the same if you think about the activity as the training session itself is do the stuff before. So you sell the activity to the people, why it's important for them to be there, why they want to be there. So they, they it resonates with them and then doing all that stuff. So when they arrive, they're in that right position and the, 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 the stuff afterwards. So I would add something on that then, and I like your idea of three, is another thing, another element, I think, of the warming up process that is priceless in the value it gives is building a sense of community amongst the participants. So it, unless it was obviously a coaching initiative of an individual, if it's a group that are going to be going through this learning intervention, not allowing it to be when they join that Zoom session and walk in that room to be the first time they start building that connection with each other on a learning basis. Um, and building a sense of community beforehand starts to build that sense that I'm not just learning from my facilitator, almost like a teacher or a presenter. Mm -hmm. I've got to learn from myself, but I can also learn from the other people in my group and I can contribute to their learning. Now, depending on the nature of the group, that can be daunting if you suddenly get them all together in some way with a bunch of strangers or people they're not normally used to working with. So even getting them into groups of threes in advance that means you're just meeting two more people that are on there. So when you join that Zoom session, there's two familiar faces on there as well as a facilitator. People you've talked about, you've shared your, your, your desired outcomes or your intentions or your purpose of being there. You've talked about your fears or concerns. You've exchanged ideas and knowledge and experience. I mean, priceless value and really easy to facilitate and set up in advance with all the technology we have now. And again, it removes that need to do some of that intros and warm up that they have that, that take up all that time at the beginning of a virtual session. And I think the idea of three is quite nice there because it's a, it's a, a staging post for meeting a bigger group rather than saying, right, all of you are going to get together beforehand. Actually, just put you into cohorts of three, get to know each other, get to know your why, your purpose. And that would the value that gives you in that live session is just going to be. I think so. And I think because one of the things that you, when you do 
train the trainer, one of the things they've said is create that environment. So you've got to get to, if you use Tuckman as a model, we've got to get people from sort of meeting each other to performing yeah. and through those stages as quickly as possible. And if you try to do that the first time they meet there, you is, is an, more of an uphill struggle. If you've done what you've done, by the time they're already there, they've got an understanding of why they're there. They've got an understanding of each other. And if you have a community, even if it's a Facebook group or a, which is, takes no time to set up and is easy to do. You can then say, oh, just pop a little intro into the Facebook group, a little video, a little 30 second introduction of yourself in the video. And what it, what it, what do you want to get out of this? And then you as a facilitator can get involved in that conversation and drop one of yourself in there as well. And then all of a sudden, before you've even turned up, I mean, people know people on a much more personal level. And if you think, I mean, I, I see posts out there sometimes on social media sites like LinkedIn and, and really good, amazingly creative ideas for creating icebreakers for, for Zoom sessions, for example, or, or team sessions, whatever it might be. And, and they're being pitched as saying, you yeah, know, this will take 15 or 20 minutes and everyone will really engage with this and, and get in there. And, and I'm reading that thinking, I love that idea. Let's just move that a bit further forward. Why, why use up 15 minutes of your priceless learning session when they should be applying the learning they already have and really like trying things out? get the icebreakers out the way in advance do those creative things in advance everyone knows each other whether that's like you said a video in a group in a community connecting them with each other whatever format it takes get all that done so you actually don't need an icebreaker in the session you know the session everyone joins they know each other already they know it's a safe space they know they can be vulnerable they know they can stretch themselves they're in that performing version of the learning mode and then the phrase i use is they can hit the ground running you know, you're straight into learning mode rather than spending a long time awkwardly getting everyone familiar with each other so they're prepared to say, oh, I don't know the answer to this at some point, or can I try this? They're straight after it. Okay, so the previous stuff that you're talking about, and I think is, is about creating that psychological safety in the classroom or whatever environment you're in. I use the classroom because it's what we tend to yeah. think about, If even if, as you say, the, and it doesn't have to be stuff that's just because we're doing virtual training or virtual facilitation or delivery that all everything has to be virtual. Right. We can blend a virtual and a face-to-face -face and everything. They, they can interblend with each other quite easily. A hundred percent. And I think it, it's just, it's, it's part, it is psychological safety, but the other element to it as well is that opening the mind up to, you know, for example, let's put some context to this. If there's 10 people about to go through a learning journey that is, I don't know, taking them into their first steps into the world of management and leadership, for example. Let's use that as a, just a classic example. So essentially, you, I mean, it has to happen in advance. So they have to connect the dots as to why they're going through this. You know, have they been told to go through it? Have they chosen to go through it? How is it going to relate to their role and the area they're visiting? That has to happen. But at that point, a traditional learning program would, all of the focus then goes in on the material and the facilitator as that's the place I learned from. Whereas actually, if there's 10 of you going through that, there's nine other people who are going through the same journey who are going to have different perspectives, different experiences, really valuable, rich learning areas, which actually, if you dig into those in advance, the level of awareness of what that might mean to them and what uh, they could potentially get from this program is... <clears throat> is, is turbo boosted for when they arrive in the session and because they're learning from each other then and their perspectives are changing uh, and their understanding is changing it probably sparks them to research things in more detail or or understand different experiences which if they just sit in isolation say i'm going along to this first learning session because scott or mark is my you know leadership facilitator is going to help me understand it it's a very narrow view of their learning whereas this just widens their perspective straight away and again you came up with some ideas very easy. It's not difficult to come up with ways to connect people in advance and get them to share those perspectives. Uh, and the facilitator can help with that and nudge that in and create some easily creative ideas 
Um, and I think the value that comes from it, again, is just it will, will pay back hugely throughout that learning journey. Well, you're, you're preaching to the converted here because I, I have that view of that entire journey and that, that's where we're at. But I think it's interesting is, and, and I think that the acceptance of technology more now that's been accelerated because of COVID in some ways makes that, for, it, it, the, for L&D, that makes that an easier sell than it used to be years ago because people saw the, the, the training as the solution. But I think now we're much more open to, because we're all in meetings all the time, we're, we're sharing using collaboration tools. You could, so you could even put people on something, I don't know, a Padlet or something and, so do something on here. I think there's a there's an app where you can do a little 30-second video introducing yourself and it goes like a wall and that's everyone's on there and you can click and see what other people are doing. And yeah. that's free and people don't mind doing those little things because we're on video most of our time anyway now. So that resistance to recording ourselves is much less than it used to be. Putting bits out there, we're on social media all the time and doing selfies. So that's there as well. And that's an easy way of people saying, oh, I'm Scott, I'm here, I want to do this, da, 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 da. this is my interest and whatever else it is. And I think there's also a different side to it as well. And this is almost the tapping into the psychological nature of it as well as not seeing these as icebreakers or warm-ups or even optional things. But we, we sort of, you know, there's various language in our, in our industry and we know like modules, workshops, sessions, whatever we might call them, courses, programs. Let's just use modules as an example. If we taught module one, the first formal learning session where they join the facilitator, anything before that just sounds like preparation and people have different views on preparation. So in my mind, module one of any learning journey is all the things we've just talked about. It's all of the joining the dots, it's meeting your fellow participants, it's, it's learning the tech, it's, it's warming you up to learning. You don't get, in module three almost is the first of your traditional starting point of the learning program where the facilitator is probably setting up the exercises and coordinating the learning process. Modules one and two is all the warming process. And if you set it up that way, it's an accepted part of the journey as opposed to being an amalgam of, of clever technology that's seen as possibly slightly optional or daunting to do. Um, yeah, so one, one of those, oh yeah, there's the optional pre-reading. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Give people, I'm giving people pre-reading for this program. Nobody's going to do it. Let's, we all have that experience. But if module one was read this article and create a, a presentation on this, and then that could be the beginning of the session, right? Okay, this is it. We're going to get together and we're going to do this. And You can't have the, sorry, Scott, I didn't get the email. It's like, well, no, it wasn't an email. This is module one. You, you attend module one, even if it's you doing it yourself. It's yeah. just part of the, the journey. And it's we, we positioned it as module one, but essentially what it is is, is the warm-up. Yeah, and I think it's where we then, in our design, we're accepting that that, that is part of that journey, and especially at the end as well. So we... Quite often we put things like in up sessions or coaching or mentoring and that will go in at the end. And sometimes I think that's even seen as optional and it said, no, that should be part of module six and module seven and module eight. I mean, just using the word module, whatever you call it. But, you know, you and I mentioned a little bit when we, we joined this call about you've done some trial funds in the past. I've done some trial funds in the past. And we both laughed about, and laughed about the nature. Can you really imagine turning up at a triathlon, not being prepared, you know, not having your bike, making sure it's worked, not at least done some exercise and preparation for it because it's going to really, really hurt if you haven't. Probably have a thought about your diet in advance. You just wouldn't, even as an amateur, you just wouldn't consider doing that. And that is actually part of the triathlon. It's not just the, the two or three hours that you're, you're you know, pushing your body to extremes, depending on what level you're at, through the three, three disciplines. It is actually a whole part of it. 
you know, the training you do in advance, the warm up, the preparation, the getting the kit ready is an integral part of that journey. And you just wouldn't consider doing it that. And so learning needs to be seen in that way as they're integral parts of the learning journey. The, the facilitator led sessions are just part of that process, which I think is something you said right at the beginning of this conversation. And, I, and, and if we think about, obviously, there's a push for learning to deliver value for money now, especially because of the restrictions or the, the squeeze on L&D budgets that a lot of organizations are experiencing or people in L&D are experiencing. In some ways, the most expensive part of what we, what we spend is the time in front of the facilitator. So let's get the biggest bang for our buck, the biggest value added is that time in front of the facilitator is where the facilitator's skills are what come to the fore, not somebody standing in front of 20 PowerPoint slides and just giving people information because they can read a book. They can can do something else, which is, so we're paying somebody a lot of money with and hopefully a skilled person and saying, oh, by the way, get these people to know each other. Do this, do this. Do some icebreakers for now. <laughs> so, no, um, insane. I mean, I worked with somebody who, was a, and I, I loved it. He said, I don't use the word icebreakers because why use an icebreaker? Because that's wasted learning opportunity. What I do is have his first activity is a kind of icebreaker, but it's also an experiential activity. So he, again, he puts people into smaller groups because it's, it's safer for people to experience this in smaller groups and big groups goes through this activity, whatever it is, then gets them to feedback and whatever, and other people can join into that discussion. So by the time he's actually done an activity, there's learning in that, but it's also people getting to know each other, relationships are built and everything else. So he's kind of, without the pre-learning, he's done it as the first activity in there. It's not about, oh, everyone say why they're here, what they want to get out of it and do the creeping death wherever. Yeah, there's, there's no, distinct- yeah Absolutely. And, and, you know, and again, if, if depending on the time you have, doing that activity is a pre, that he doesn't necessarily even need to be there if he sets it up nicely and gets them doing it beforehand. So that, you know, I think I mentioned at the beginning about the learner to turn up and say, what are we doing here today? Having someone come in there and say, whatever it might be, something like, can't wait to get stuck into this particular exercise because it's going to help my understanding of X or whatever, it'd be the first thing they say would be transformational, wouldn't it? And, and I can't start to help, can't wait to start working with Scott because I know his, the context for him being here is quite similar to mine. Mm-hmm. And I think we're going to learn something from each other. It's like, wow. As a, you know, it's like I'm working with some highly sort of prepared elite athletes almost. It's not the person who turns up to triathlon and go, oh, it's not a mountain bike I need. I need a road bike to ride. And I probably need a wetsuit because that water looks quite cold. They're not like that. They're actually ready and prepared to, to deal with the situation they're going to be, going to be faced with. I mean, I mean, if you spoke to anyone in L&D and said, what conversations would you like to have with your learners when they turn up compared to, am I in the right place or that? Okay, can you let me know what we're doing first because I really want to get into, the, into this. I mean, it's, it's, it, I, I don't know anyone who would want the first conversation compared to the second. And I, I always, and it's one of the funniest, that, well, it's funny, is it funny? I don't know, but it always makes me laugh. Is one of the first questions I always get asked as a trainer is the questions around when do I not have to be here? what time does the session finish when does it finish when do we have lunch so the first question they ask about is when they don't actually have to be with you and you think oh this builds me with confidence isn't it excuse me when's lunch (laughs) when do we finish any chance we can have we can squeeze a little bit out of that do we have to do this now so you think people come in with that attitude then you'll sit there they think that what they're there for it can be done a lot quicker and it's the value they add to that the value they actually see that session in is, is in that there's other things that are, that are going on in their life that are really important to them and trying to squeeze that learning into 
a short time as possible. So if we can help that process by saying, no, you're here, but the time you're going to be here is really valuable to you and you're going to get a lot out of it. And it might well be shorter because it doesn't have to be so long because we're taking out some of that fat. Well, exactly. And you can you can strip out some of it to the before, some of it to the afters and make it a really lean, if you like, session that's there. But I think as well as, you know, if, if you get the preparation bit right and you warm them up and they're, they're motivated, they're curious, they're, they're ready to learn, they're not going to see this as something they want to cut half an hour short because they want to go for a beer with their friends or they've got an important email to answer or because I think that if I hear that comment from me, that tells me straight away that that's not a self-responsible learner. That's someone who thinks they're coming on to listen to something that may or may not be useful that a presenter is going to give to them because they're not really heavily invested in it. Whereas what we really want them coming in is saying, I can't believe we're going to fit this all into those two hours. You know, is it, is it going to be okay if we stay on a bit longer? Because I, you know, there's, there's, I've got so much to share with you on what I've done so far. And you think, hallelujah. <laughs> And now the facilitator's saying, damn, I'm not going for beer with my friends later now because it's yeah, just... No, I'm going to be the one later. I mean, are we sure this is happening? I think also that the point that you raised about how people approach it, and I think what we haven't discussed yet, because we've talked about techniques and having that, and I think it's really about who's actually going on the programme or whatever we're doing. I think we've got to take some responsibility to the selection process about how are people deciding one to go on it or decided to be put on it by the organization if it's not or an who, who is deciding as well you know is it the individual so very much self-directed saying i need to go through this and invest in themselves or is it their line manager or the organization that's that's putting them on it possibly for very good reasons but yeah it's such a key part of it and whoever the decision maker in there is i think even if it's self-invested Again, part of the preparation for me is the connecting the dots bit that, that, that sort of connects through what's their decision or whose decision is it? What's it based on? What do they understand the journey is about? How does that relate to their needs? And it's almost like a, a sort of circle of going through this, isn't it? And getting all those bits right. Because again, if that's wrong, it's a complete waste of time. You know, I've been, I've been in sessions years ago where someone would come along and it would be a late entrant, you know, late addition to the list, if you like, and said, oh, there's some development going on. I want my person to go in there. And we'd be doing management development programs that were well thought out and well planned running over six months. And someone would come in and say, I don't manage anyone. I'm not planning to manage anyone. My role will never manage anyone. But they just thought because I'm at that level, I should come through this. And I, yeah, it's almost a tumbleweed moment. It's like we needed to have this conversation weeks ago, not on the start of the session. Um, Absolutely. And I think, I mean, that there's obviously, they might have taken stuff out of it and we could have done that. And the organisation had decided that investment was actually worth the money. I think I think also we've got to look at what L&D do and some of the metrics L&D have which might drive some of these decisions so when I worked in my previous organization I had a KPI of I've got to remember now I think it was six days training or on average six days training for every member of staff so success for L&D was putting bums on seats so what you'll get is a, a program that's going to say it, it's, it's been spent time people have spent time developing it's got clear outcomes they're doing this and all of a sudden said it's only half full oh, come on, we've got to find another three or four people. And they just get put on it because it's got to be a full programme. If it's not full, what's the point? You know, that, I mean, that makes me think of the conversation that, and I know you're, you're very passionate about learning from marketing teams and advertising, but we talked about the idea that a business might say, we've got to have a TV ad. We have to have a TV ad. We're going to build a TV ad. Let's get a marketing consultant to build us a TV ad and we'll have one there. But it does absolutely nothing to drive new customers to that business at all. But they can tick the box so they've had a TV ad that's cost them an absolute fortune. 
but it wasn't what they needed. It didn't resonate with their customers and didn't really get the message across. And then what we do is next year we run the same TV ad. <laughs> because it's on our, our, our catalogue. Yeah. So, I think it was interesting. I, I put something on LinkedIn today which was about some of those questions I think L&D could be asking to help them shift that expectation. Because I think the expectation is on the organisation as well because that's what they see L&D as. And they say, we need leadership training. And say, what for? We just need leadership training. And, sure. so, and then, so L&D are sort of stuck between a rock and a hard place. They might think we, we need to do something we need to understand but people aren't listening to us. And I think that's where my thing of marketing comes in is about branding L&D in the organizational L&D being able to brand itself and have those conversations about, okay, what's the business need you actually want us to help you deliver? And I think that's the sort of question. Absolutely. What's the output? And then what is... What's the difference that you're looking for? What's it? Yeah, gonna, what's this person going to need to be able to think, do or act differently that they're not doing now or you want them to be better at? How are we going to measure that? And I think the important question is, and this may also change, if we, if we can as an organization or as an L&D either as L&D consultants or internal, say, who are we going to, how are we going to measure these things we're looking for and who's going to be responsible for that? So we start getting some accountability and ownership into these changes we're looking for. And we get buy-in from things like, because I think there's four key characters. There's a senior management team, there's L&D obviously themselves. There's a, the leaders of the, or the managers of the learners. I don't particularly like the word learners either because I heard something really interesting. If somebody's breathing, we don't call them breathers. <laughs> it's, it's an act of learning they're, they're not learners they are learning they're participants whatever else they are and so the and the people the participants themselves so the participants their managers the senior management team and learning the learning department i think are the four key people should be involved in these types of conversations so we can create that journey and really think about how do we want people to turn up because we this is the output we're looking for and how can we utilize that effectively to deliver that and, you know, it's getting down to granular detail, but when you get that right, you still need a really important question about how much time is prepared to invest in this. Because again, there's this perception that, yeah, yeah, we want all these wonderful things. And what are you going to need? Like to do like a couple of hours a week for three weeks and that'll be it. And they just need to turn up to a presentation and not realizing that if you want to take someone on this journey to get to the, the real value add behaviors that you've identified are really essential for the business to, to do whatever it has to do. There is a lot of work that goes into that. And that's time invested to support. It isn't just L&D's uh, responsibility for all of that. It's a business responsibility that L&D facilitate. You know, we're, I mean, we're stretching out not just the, the warm-up, it's the, the follow-up, the support throughout the whole programme. It can't solely sit with L&D at all, in any setting, as far as I see. No, I think we, 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 we are responsible, I think, for helping design it, because that's our, that's our area of specialism, I think, is helping design what it's going to look like and understanding that learner and how people learn. That's a specialism L&D can bring into it. But also working with managers and say, okay, so they're going to come out of this program. However it is, this is what it's going to look like. Okay, what activities or what can you do and how can we help you support them in delivering those changes within the workplace? It's going to benefit you and hit your targets. And if we have those involved in those conversations and we co-create that solution and then we've got some accountability and ownership throughout, then yes, then we're getting a much more integrated approach and things like how is that going to link with performance management? How is that going to link with succession planning and things like that? So then even HR and the processes are sort of aligned to what we're trying to do as well. I'm trying to think who, who's responsible for the quote that says in any business, everybody is a salesperson. It's not just a sales team. And I think that absolutely applies to the whole process of learning as well. Everyone's involved in learning. 
L&D might be the equivalent of a sales team that might design stuff and be at the forefront of it. But everybody, in any learning initiative, everybody's involved in it, just as anybody in the business that has any kind of product or service is a salesperson, essentially. I think I'm going to nick that. <laughs> I might even write a blog about that. I will obviously attribute it to some bloke I can't remember said something. So, draft, 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 and there's a pad in there somewhere as well. So I wrote it with a giraffe on a pad. So uh, go and look at that .com. <laughs> That's my plug to you, giraffepad.com, which is a platform that allows all these things to happen. And Mark is the the founder of, and I'm one of his customers. So I we we are talking from sort of that passion about trying to get that journey right and utilizing things around that. And I think also with things using, I mean, obviously giraffe pad is one of the options. There's lots of other options you can use. It's also is thinking about what needs to actually be in the event we're having and then what is ancillary or supporting stuff and how can that be delivered outside of that event as well, which again goes back to what we were talking about is utilizing the time with the skilled facilitator to be able to utilize their skills to the maximum benefit. See, I, I've kind of drilled this down to a really simple message in my mind, and that is that however you do it, however you structure it, whatever tech or non-tech you use, accessing the learning and being part of that learning journey should be easy. So the learning itself, of course, should be really challenging and stretching because that's what learning is. But accessing it should be as easy as possible. And unfortunately, I see too many learning interventions where the... The, the being able to access it, the difficulties of technology or the, the clunky setup or the heavy presentation mode of the facilitation, whatever it might be, mean that accessing it is difficult. So both things become difficult and that tends to turn most of us off. But if we make accessing and being part of the learning journey really easy, then we can, you know, individuals, participants can embrace the challenge of stretching themselves and, and, and learning whatever it is they need to learn. Okay, I'm going to throw something in here, which I, I again, I believe entirely what you said. And I've talked, we've talked about the, the marketing and what we can learn from marketing. Mm. I think this is an example of what we can learn from people who do CX and UX. Mm. What's the customer journey like? And then what's the user experience? And, and, and anyone who's anything in UX, is, it's all about seamless and, and being really obvious and easy. There a single friction. The best user experience is, is frictionless, basically, isn't it? And it's it's so obvious and straightforward that you get the full value of whatever it is you're experiencing at a point in time. It's a really good analogy to use that. That doesn't mean the learning should be easy, obviously. You know, the actual learning journey that they're going on to achieve whatever it is, the behavior, skills, knowledge, you know, whatever it is that's the end result, that should be challenging. But the, the framework of it and their ability to make that journey should be easy. Yeah, so again, it's looking at it in from different perspectives. I was listening to a podcast and one of the guys on it and Again, I've got a terrible memory, so I can't tell. I think it was a guy called Paul Mitchell. And he said that he thinks that L&D spent too, not too long focusing on the learner, but too long focusing on the content. Well, it's a, it's a certain safety net, isn't it? You know, as a, as a facilitator, depending on your mindset to it, you know, and I can th- if I think back into my early days, possibly, you know, as you're going to about to facilitate a session, what you really want to know is, have I got my eggs in a row? Have I got these great exercises formed? Have I got, have I got something to fall back on objectives? And so it'd be quite easy to lose sight, wouldn't it? Of, hang on, <laughs> regardless of what my content is like, what are they going to experience? They're going to get it there. And I think it takes a, a degree of maturing into the role of being a great facilitator to be able to say, 
I trust my content is much more important about what they're experiencing and you know how are they and I think that it comes back to our initial message though seeing it it's not a one-hit wonder you know your content in that two hours you've got with them is one small part of that whole journey so take that pressure off that being so right and get the whole journey right and actually you'll find you don't need as much content in those two hours because they'll take over a lot of it because they'll be fired up to learn and they'll be taking responsibility for the exercises and throwing ideas in and actually you'll 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 become a true facilitator because you'll just be facilitating these group of really energized motivated learners rather than having to keep pushing exercise out and keep pushing theory out and keep pushing ideas at them because they're just docile and submissive yeah i think i can't remember i had again another quote is <laughs> learning is not a spectator sport no. so the more we can actually well i um, mean unfortunately lots of people experience it that way though. they do and i was at my other half was on a on a call she's in this program and it's a fortnightly 10 to 1 i won't tell you which organization she works for or who's delivering the who's it's not them delivering it but every time i walk in so on the, and it's on a wednesday so every time i walk in every other week to her office because we're both working from home She's just her eyes roll, and she's she's got the earphones on, but the the mic's up here somewhere. Like it's, it's, uh, the mic's nowhere near her mouth, and she's got the emails open, and she's like, "God, this is painful. Can we please? Can I just have a break?" And I think, and said so they asked a question, and there was twenty two on the call, and three people answered via text, uh, via the the chat. And you think, and that 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 is unfortunately sometimes the quality of some of the learning that's been delivered creates a perception of what that experience is going to be like so and i that's i think is one thing we can really grasp is we can work with people in the pre-learning stuff and say Do you know well, this is what it's going to be like and this is me this is this is an example of what that experience is going to be like with us as what i do so people go in with not that preconceived le- uh, idea of what poor learning is because we've all had that death by powerpoint but this is going to be an energizing you're going to be involved this is you creating or whatever else it is so people get that perception, they get the right perception before they move in and come to the room. Absolutely, because it's like anything, if you join a new business and you go along to the first meeting and it's just painful, you know, you've got 40 slides to look at, each slide's got a thousand words on it, you're, you're gonna, it's gonna make your eyes bleed. And, and you probably immediately form a view that, oh my God, all meetings in this business are literally just boring presentations. And the same happens with training. Is if I go to a learning intervention of any form and I'm just talked at or it's very, you know, it's monotone and it's, it's just the trainer talking or the slides or whatever, you do form a firm view that that's what training or learning is about, which will flavor any future intervention. So again, what you're saying is you can change that perception very heavily, but do that beforehand. Don't, don't wait to the session to wow them with your amazing facilitation skills where they go, really? I didn't realize you like get it sorted beforehand. So they're really chomping at the bit to arrive um, and realize this is a very different experience to what they may well have experienced elsewhere. Yeah, and it's that expectations, isn't it? Which, uh, we, if we're expecting a, a bad event, we turn up with the motivation to have a bad event. So we've probably booked me taxi half hour before the end. I've asked people to give me phone calls, anything to get out of this because this is going to be as boring as you like. Whereas if you think, oh, no, I'm really interested in this, and I, that, then I'm going to go into it much more prepared. And I, I've only just thought of that about that building that perception of the event as well. So, what would you like the people to be like? So, do you want them to be present? What's it important to be like their tech? So especially with tech, right, before you get, 
sit somewhere quietly, test your microphone, test this. Well, also, do you, do you, how do you, how, how, how interactive do you want them to be other people? So are you going to ask them to interact with other people for the very first time on this call, mm-hmm. get them interacting beforehand so they know who they are and, and how they think, but in a very focused way about the content, about the subject matter, rather than just being sociable. There's so much, yeah, ask yourself all those questions. How do they want to perceive the event? How do they want to perceive you as a facilitator? How do they want to perceive the way it's been run on tech of whatever form? The other participants, there's, you know, you, you, it's like you said, you asked the question to someone, how do you want your people to turn up? I mean, you could actually ask six or seven good questions, say, how do I want people to be on this session? And what have I got to do to get them to that point where they're guaranteed to be like that? And I really not- like that. So, and I'll go back to what you said about the module, which I liked as well. I haven't thought about actually naming it like that, because I think that helps people's, get people's head around that yeah. and put a learning outcome for that module. Absolutely. Okay, this is what this, this module is designed to do. This is what we would expect people to be able to do at the end of this. Okay, now let's go for it. Psychologically, it's not, like you say, it's not the optional document that's come through an email or a video that's floating around that perhaps I could watch uh, just as I'm walking into the room on my phone. It's actually almost got a due date as well. You know, we, we want you to get through all this stuff by the, the 1st of March because by the 3rd of March, we've got another interesting engagement for you to do. You're not actually going to work with your facilitator full-time until the 10th of March. But these are all stages in that learning journey. So it's not seen as sort of a bit of loose stretching of your thighs just before running the London Marathon for the first time you've ever put your running shoes on. You know, you're actually, you're genuinely warming up through staggered and staged interventions that help you get to, to be ready for the, the, the main events, whatever they might be. I think that goes back to what we said at the beginning, just see it as part of the journey. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, not, not, so we might even change the name of... Um, the podcast from how do we get people ready to learn is how do we how do we position this might be a better question how do you position the facilitation effectively in the journey for it to be effective effectively to be effective <laughs> effectively really bad but you know what i mean so it's not thinking about the pre-warmer but where where would be a good place to put the, the facilitated sessions yeah. in that journey for them to be the most effective they can be definitely and i think it seems like we both agree they move a little bit further down the line than perhaps is what is traditionally positioned. Yeah, and I think that's down to one, how we work and also the perception of what training is because there is a perception of organisations. I'm going to send somebody on a training course and that's going to fix the problems and that rarely will happen. I mean, there's enough research to say that the, the retention rates in that traditional way of learning, even if you make it experiential, which bumps it up a little bit, even if you put activities in to reinforce the learning, bumps it all up again. That bumps up the retention, but does it does it increase the application of it in the workplace? Because I mean, the organisation, whether it's going for an internal solution or whether it's using an external provider, isn't paying for the training. They're paying for the performance at the end. But we get to the conversations are always about the intervention, not the solution, uh, not the outcomes. I mean, I, I, it's almost going to sound sarcastic. When it's viewed as send someone on a training course, in my mind, it's like saying, well, I ran to the bus stop this morning, so or I sprinted to the bus stop this morning, so I can go up against Usain Bolt in a 100-meter race. It's, it's just not, it's not feasible. The idea that a training course can deliver those end outcomes is unfortunately a bit of a fantasy. Yeah, and again, I was talking to, and I think we should change our perception, which comes into what we're doing about what uh, the training. I wouldn't say it's a training course. I'd say let's always look at a training program or a learning program. Learning program, learning journey. Let's look at the whole journey of where they are now. This end ultimate outcome you have in mind of a level of performance that's significantly higher in whatever you know, whatever the context it might be. Mm-hmm. 
and and also be reasonably assertive. And this, I think, this is an area you're really passionate about about how L and D are positioned in organisations. Really assertive about the fact that whilst L and D might be involved in the design of that whole journey, the whole journey is not about L and D at all and there's going to be lots of interventions with different parts of the business different people in that business be it their line managers be it different divisions whatever it might be they're going to get them to that end bit and we're just the facilitators of, of, of main parts of that journey for sure but not all of it at all yeah my, my view on lnd is i think lnd should be the strategic conveners of learning in an organization that was put much more effectively than i just described. i don't actually think so i think yours was a really great analogy i'm just waiting for another sports analogy to come from so we've had sprinting usain bolt we've done a marathon we've done a triathlon yeah. um, i was quite impressed when you said two to three hours i said oh you're a little bit quicker than me then <laughs> well, only after i've done the preparation you see so when you do oh, the preparation, it works <laughs> i'm just i was just um i was just unfit and that was it and uh, yeah. my preparation sometimes wasn't great it's like when i used to play rugby as well when i was younger so the difference again that's the difference between playing rugby for fun where the preparation was minimal and then playing rugby where you had to learn stuff and then you put the effort in and you did the training and you did everything. And the interesting thing is the training became specific and the training that you did was then we've got a big game coming up in two weeks. So the training was about that one specific game. And do you know what? There isn't, I don't think there's any sane person that would want to go on a rugby pitch against a well-drilled team without the right kind of preparation because it's, it's, it's not like playing badminton. I mean, it's going to, that's going to be a painful experience. Um, and I, I will speak from experience. It is. <laughs> I ended up with uh, mild concussion. Some people said I haven't recovered from it. And that was 20 odd years ago. Yeah, I was playing against a team who they did all the moves in the, in the uh, obviously in the training ground, off the scrum and off the line out and stuff. And most of it was through the midfield. And I was, I was the open side flanker. So I spent most of my afternoon getting hit by big centers flying and people flying through the center. And I was like, this is not a nice experience, but they were wet. They were more drilled. They knew what they were doing and say, what is it we say in training as well? You train hard so you can run easy. Absolutely. So you put the effort in. So when you're actually getting it is, and that, that's hopefully what the learning journey is. And I think it's, I think it's right. What you say is about, we should look at it as the, as a journey. And I think that's where talking to Mo Ash in a previous podcast, he was talking about the, I don't know if we talked about it in the podcast or one of the meetings outside, it's the different skills now coming into L&D that we can be aware of and that L&D is, can bring these in. So sort of marketing expertise, CX, UX, storytelling. Yeah. So people who can, who, who can do storytelling and then digital, then people who are digital learning expertise, digital design, facilitation, exper- experimentation type of work. All of these, I think, is is where we can tap into. And so there's a lot of specialism, but it's learning from other parts of the business and learning, learning aspects. I've got another great idea as well. And it's not kind of mine issue. It's from Mo. Again, it's using, it's not the technology, which I think he said was really good. It's the application you're making it work. Yeah. So an induction is another thing. So induction to me is about prepping somebody to go into an organization member, the rule of three. So, an induction program is to do what we're talking about, but in an organization context, isn't it? We get somebody through the induction onboarding orientation, whatever you call it. So when they land in the organization, they land ready to run. Absolutely. So this is another analogy I think we can look at. And then we don't put the effort into the induction program as much either. I don't think to have the outcome as well. 
No, well, I mean, I'm sure there's 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 probably the whole gamut of really well done inductions and and you know the utterly appalling or virtually non-existent version of them. But like anything, I think a really exceptional version of induction would stand out like a sore thumb, and, and someone who experienced it would be eyes wide open, and it would immediately give them a sense they've made the right decision. And like you said, they would hit the ground running. So the value you get the value back straight away anyway because they're able to perform in their role much quicker and and integrate with the culture of that business, aren't they? So yeah. Lots Preparation. I think what we're I think we're coming to it is uh, the, the seven P's in it. I'm not going to do some of them, but it, prior preparation prevents. So what we want to do is what prior preparation can we go through prior to this aspect of the learning journey where we're going to interact as a facilitator with this person, so that that interaction provides the greatest output or outcomes that we can expect within the time. Absolutely, and it's not hard to <clears throat> not hard to identify the the things you want those people to be to be ready to know by that stage. So it's an easy it's an easy walk back process. You know, ask yourself those six questions. Like we said, what do you what do you want them to be like? How motivated do they want to be? How curious they are? What do they need to know? How, how much interactions they need to have had? Right, six things. That's your preparation built, but it's not called preparation. It's called module one and module two, or whatever you whatever language you use in your learning journey. Yes, and then if we can sell that into an organisation, we can say, well, it's actually costing us no extra money because this is time stuff they're going to do in their own time as well. So there's no extra cost to most of this, and most of the solutions we're talking about, the costs are minimal. Or so if we can create that outcome, the ROI on some of these things is going to be enormous. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, well, Mark, it was absolutely fantastic talking to you. We went all over the place, and we did. We, how many sports did we talk? We got rugby, badminton. Sprinting, uh, marathons, <laughs> and triathlons in. That's yeah. not bad. That's not a bad podcast. One small conversation about preparing participants to learn. <laughs> Absolutely. And it is. And I think every every opportunity we have in life is a learning opportunity, but that's just me as a lifelong learner. But hey-ho. No, it was great to have you, have you, and thank you very much for your time and sharing your ideas. No, thank you, Scott. It's been an absolute pleasure. It seems like we're quite aligned on a lot of it, so it's been a, a very fun conversation. That's always. Okay. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you. No problem. Thanks, Scott.